0: Would you turn in your Bibles with me, please, to Romans in chapter 10? Romans chapter 10. You don't know how thrilled I was to learn that you don't get out of the morning service until around 1. That really is going to come in handy. (laughs) Romans Romans in chapter number 10. I'm going to begin reading with verse number 9. Romans 10 and verse 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's pretty definite. And it's also pretty simple, isn't it? If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts that God hath raised him from the dead... The Bible says, thou shalt be saved. He reverses the order in verse 10. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Then in verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I believe that with all of my heart. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The whosoever tells me the sinner is sought. God is looking for sinners. Not only is the sinner sought, but the call tells me the supplication is simple. Aren't you glad that God made salvation so that the average one of us could understand it? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord tells me that the Savior is sufficient. He's all we need. All we need. Baptism's a good thing. Should follow uh, salvation uh, church membership's a good thing, should follow uh, salvation. Uh, but neither of those things saved, nor were they ever intended to. Only Jesus Christ can save. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sin. The Savior is sufficient. And then whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The salvation is sure. The salvation is sure. I'm absolutely certain that if I die before I leave this pulpit, I'm going to heaven. If I die five years from now, I'm going to heaven. If I die ten years from now, I'm going to heaven. If I live to see the rapture, I'm going to heaven. The one thing I know for sure is that my destiny is heaven. And it isn't because of anything I've ever done or ever will do. It's because the price that Jesus Christ paid for my sin. You say, well, brother, what's going what if you live another 10 years and you get away from the Lord? I might go to heaven sooner than I thought. But I'm going to heaven. You see, I believe when we sin, God convicts us. If we do not yield to that conviction, I believe He chastens us. If we will not yield to the chastisement, I believe there is a sin unto death. That we can cross the line and the Lord will say, I'm going to bring you on up here where I can keep a closer eye on you. Ever had children like that? Hmm? Had to bring them a little closer to you so you keep a close eye on them. I, I don't want the Lord to have to do that with me. I want to go to heaven on pleasant terms, if at all possible. But this one thing I do know, I'm going to heaven and I learn in this passage of Scripture of two kinds of people, believers and unbelievers, saved and unsaved. I also learn that in, that in that group are these people called whosoever's. As a matter of fact, everyone in both groups is a whosoever whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You might think, well, there's no way the Lord would ever save me. He would if you asked him. If you would confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and if you would believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, he would save you. You you say, but you don't know me, but he does. And he said he would save to the uttermost all that will come to him by Christ Jesus. I... I told those that were here the other night about the salvation of my father. My dad felt like there's no way in the world anyone would save him. He knew what a sinner he was. And there was no way that anyone was going to do that for him without it costing him at least something. Until finally when he was 59 years old, he came to the conclusion, I don't have enough to pay for it even if he charges. And he trusted the Lord Jesus and all that Christ had done for him. And he was saved by the grace of God. Been in heaven since January of 1990. If you're here this morning and you're not saved by the grace of God, you could be. You are whosoever. But in this passage of Scripture, there's also another family of people. If you would look in verse number 14, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed, and how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? So there's another family here called they's. We have the believers, the unbelievers, we have the whosoever's, and now we have the they's. But you might say, Brother Woodstone, you just said that everyone's a whosoever. And that's true. But what value is there in being a whosoever if you don't know it? What if no one ever tells you that you're a whosoever? Then you would be like much of the population of the world today and you would sit back in the darkness of your sin and say, no man cared for my soul. When the fact of the matter is there are those that care for these souls, but so many of them have not been reached. Almost 8 billion people in the world. Uh, 6,809 languages. 6,809 languages. Living languages. There are languages that are no no longer used. They have died. But there's there's 6,809 languages that are being used. Do you know out of these 6,800 languages, only 400 have a complete Bible? And when I say a complete Bible, that could be a good translation. It could be a bad translation. It could be a paraphrase. But only 400 out of 6,800, another 1,079 have a New Testament that's translated into their language. That could be a good translation, bad translation, paraphrase. There's another 876 that have at least one book of the Bible, like John perhaps, or Romans maybe, that has been translated into their language. But then again, it's either a good translation, bad translation, or... A uh, paraphrase. That leaves 2,983 languages with not one verse of the Bible translated so they can read it. Can you imagine that? Several years ago, I, I was preaching somewhere and I, I said, I probably have 50 Bibles at home. And uh, I got to thinking about that. So the next time I went home, I counted them. Uh, I had 52. That didn't count the New Testaments and didn't count uh, the digital uh, Bibles either on my iPads or or, or iPhone. Uh, Printed Bibles, all King James Version, all 52. Why would I want anything else? Uh, All 52. And so I, I said to myself, self... There's no need in having 52 Bibles. And so I started giving them away. I gave 12 away. Uh, I counted recently, I still have 52. <laughs> because, uh, I, as a matter of fact, I, I haven't broached the subject with my wife yet, but I want to order another one. I don't know, I just can't help myself. There's just something about taking that Bible out of Boston smelling, you know, and feeling the paper. And I say every time I get a new Bible, I'm not going to write in this one. The next thing you know, here I go scribbling all, all over it. My first uh, preaching Bible was a 179X Old Scofield Bible. Back in those days, you couldn't go to heaven without an Old Scofield Bible. And you had to go through Atlanta if you were from the South to get there. But uh, I wrote more in that Bible than Paul did. And I've given long since given that Bible to uh, my youngest son. Uh, we have Bibles at our disposal on every hand. Now, let me also hasten to say that, that though there are this many languages in the world, the Bible has not been translated into many, many, as a matter of fact, most places you go in the world, people know more than one language. It's only in America that you can travel the distances across this great land of ours and speak one language, unless you go to Miami, Florida, and then that's another, that's another story. But uh, we speak uh, one language. But I go many places uh, in uh, Europe and, and Africa and uh, many places in the world where people will speak three, four, five different languages. Uh, but that still doesn't give them the Bible in their heart language. So many. I, I can pick up a Bible and read it anytime I want to. I have it at my disposal, have all of my life. It's hard to believe that there are people all over the world that don't even have a copy of the Scripture. And multitudes around the world that have never had anyone give them a clear presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now here's the question I have for us this morning and, and again tonight, the Lord willing. How do we bridge the gap from they to whosoever? Because one thing is certain. We will never bridge the gap from whosoever to believer until we first bridge the gap from they to whosoever. A man must recognize, he must realize that yes, there is a hope of going to heaven. There is a hope that the Creator will forgive me. But if He just lives the life of a they and has no idea that there is a God that would save Him, then His chances of being saved are nil. And so we're doing our best to get to all the world and preach to them the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what this week is all about. Getting the gospel to regions beyond and to your next-door neighbor as well, Now, I want you to look with me again if you have your Bible still open. In uh, Romans chapter 10, uh, verse 14, How then shall they call on Him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they hear without a preacher? And then verse 15, And how shall they preach except they be sent? How do we bridge the gap? From they to whosoever, by going and giving. I want to talk to you this morning about giving. Why this morning uh, giving? Uh, Just primarily because it's fun. And I I want you to enjoy being here this morning, so you'll maybe come back tonight. Amen? I mean you no harm. Honest before the Lord, I mean you no harm. Uh, Let me share with you what I believe the scripture has to say. And then you can accept it, you can reject it, you can do it, you can argue against it. But I, I believe that this is scriptural. How do we give? Well, first of all, we begin with the tithe. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. That is the tithe. All of us that are saved by God's grace are obligated to give at least a tithe to the Lord. Now. I'm quite certain most of us who have been tithing for any length of time give a great deal more than the tithe when we tithe. But the scripture says a tithe. You say, yeah, but bro, let not That's the Old Testament. Bring in that tithe and stuff. That's Old Testament Bible. It is. And so is thou shalt not kill. But just because it's in the Old Testament doesn't mean it's bad Bible. It's still good. Yeah, but we live, you know, in a different dispensation. Well, then, I would implore you to find for me one verse in the New Testament that negates tithing. Any verse in the New Testament that says we no longer tithe. Now, there are passages about giving. But as you notice in the Old Testament, there's passages about tithing. And then there will be other passages as well about offerings. Bring me the tithes and offerings. And the Lord said, see if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. There shall not be room enough to receive it. I would not tell you to prove God. Now I will read it if God says it or quote it. I will talk about it if God says it, but I'm not about to say to you, put God to the test. But God himself said, put me to the test. See, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing, you shall not be able to receive it. I ask the folks hey, how many of you have been tithing for at least five years and you wish you'd never gotten started? I mentioned this earlier in the week. How many of you have been given to faith promise or giving offerings to the Lord and you wish you'd never gotten started? Why? Nobody. Why? Because we know when we give to the Lord, God does indeed bless. You say, I just can't afford the tithe. That might be the reason you can't afford the tithe. Huh? Listen, if we as Christians can't afford the tithe, we bought something out of the will of God. Because He would never lead us to obligate ourselves to more than 90% of our income. Because that other 10% belongs to him. It is his. And for us to spend it on ourselves is robbery. It is wrong. It is sin. Now, the pastor can correct me on this if he sees fit. As a matter of fact, he's the pastor. He can correct me on anything. He's right. Okay? But if I was not tithing, I would this morning confess it as the sin that it is. And I would set, I'd take one of these, but I'd put it in my Bible or maybe set it aside. And I wouldn't do anything with that right now. I'd say, God, forgive me for robbing you. I wouldn't rob anyone else. I'm an honest person. I I wouldn't rob anyone. But I realize this morning that I've been stealing from you. And I've been making a mortgage payment with money that I robbed from you. Or I've been making a car payment with money I've robbed. I've even bought groceries, Lord, with money I robbed from you. And I confess it as the sin that it is. And I'm going to correct that this morning. And and give me a few weeks now uh, to correct that. And, And then, Lord, I'm going to come back and visit this again. Because you cannot give God an offering until first you have given him his tithe. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be, be meat in mine house. Improve me now if, herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven, pour you out a blessing, there shall not be room enough to receive it. God will bless your faithfulness in tithing. And, and, and let me say this. Uh, tithing not only robs God, uh, it robs you. It robs your family. It robs your church. It's a painful thing, spiritually speaking, not to give a tithe to the Lord. That's the beginning place. Now, uh, how about this? Uh, Jesus sat over against the treasury and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury. Many that were rich cast in much, and there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples and saith unto them, Verily I say to you... Unto you, this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. The Lord, and, and uh, I, I don't have time to go into this at depth, but he's standing over against the treasury watching people give. So don't say for a moment God's not interested in, in our giving. He wouldn't have been standing over that treasury otherwise. And he was watching people give. And, and he, he saw these men in purple and fine linen, and they gave their gifts, and they walked away, and they gave their gifts, and walked away. And here comes <clears throat> this little woman in ragged clothes. And she put in a penny. And she walked away. Peter, get James. John, come here. I want to show you something. He says, see that little lady going there in those ragged clothes? Yes, sir. See those guys going in purple and fine linen? Yes, sir. She gave more than they did. Now, you know Simon had to say, you don't mean it. He had to say something. Of course, I used to give Simon Peter a hard time until it dawned on me he walked further on water than I have. I I kind of cut him some slack. But uh, no, no, no. The Lord said, she didn't give as much as they had given in the amount but proportionately she had because after she had given she had nothing left over after they had given, they had plenty left over two kinds of giving sacrificial giving. I don't know that we in America know much about that. Uh, have you ever looked at a at a website called globalrichlist.com did I mention that to you Did I mention global rich globalrichlist.com I'd encourage you to look at it. it's interesting won't hurt won't hurt a thing. What you do when you go to globalrichlist.com is you choose your currency, U.S. dollars for us, and then you put your household income in. Whatever your household income is, put the number in there. And it will tell you where you fit in the wealth of the world. want to know how rich you are? Globalrichlist.com. I don't have them all memorized, but I can tell you this. If you make $25,000 a year... $25,000 a year your household you're in the top 2% of the wealthiest people in the world. If you make $50,000 a year you're in the top 0.3% of the wealthiest people in the world. We have nothing to complain about. So We can give a sacrificial gift to the Lord. We can give the Lord a gift out of our abundance. And if one should have, and that's what the wealthy were doing, and if you have an abundance, if you've laid by in store, if you've been frugal with what God has given you, that's certainly nothing to be ashamed of. But you might ask yourself, what should I give the Lord by sacrifice? Or what should I give the Lord out of my abundance? So we have tithing, which is not an option you 're either tithing or you 're living in sin i 'm sorry i didn't i didn 't read that book on how to win friends and influence people but i didn 't come either to make enemies of you, but it is true nonetheless if we 're not tithing we 're living in sin and then we can give out of an, out of our abundance and we can give a, a, a sacrificial gift to the lord and then we can give by faith or if you prefer the Bible term, we can give a grace offering to the Lord. You remember when Paul wrote the believers in Corinth about the resurrection, the whole chapter, chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, and then he closed it out by saying, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now concerning the collection for the saints. you see, well, That's in chapter 16. It wasn't when he wrote it. He was writing a letter when he wrote it, and there were no chapter divisions. There were no verse divisions. He says, I want you to superabound in the work of the Lord. And the first work that he mentions is this matter of giving, and it isn't the tithe. It's a grace gift. I want you to give to the poor saints that are in Jerusalem. Paul had gone to these various areas on his missionary journeys. He had seen Gentiles saved by the grace of God and he asked them to pray for the poor saints in Jerusalem. They said, we want to do more than that. We want to give. And that's what this faith gift or this grace gift gift is all about. He said, upon the first day of the week. Now, why would they bring this gift on the first day of the week? Because that was worship day. We meet on the Lord's day. We meet on resurrection day. We meet on the first day of the week. And so this is going to be part of their worship along with their tithing and their singing and their uh, gathering around the Word of God and fellowshipping together. This is going to be part of it. They would give their grace gift or their faith gift. That tells me this gift should be done systematically, not haphazardly. Vincent, in Vincent Word Study, study says, giving is the outcome of a settled principle, not of an occasional impulse. Giving is the outcome of a settled principle, not of an occasional impulse. Well, uh, Brother Weston, you know, I'll give to missions, but you know, as the Lord leads me. Well, uh, ask him to lead you today. You say, well, I can't... I'm going, to, I'm going to sign this card and, and the church is going to expect for the next year I'm going to give. I can't commit to a year. I don't know what my income is going to be like three or four or five months from now. That's a good argument. Uh, if it's the same one you used at the car dealership. Hmm? You sit down with that fellow and he prints off a whole ream of paper. Words no one's ever Read. Slides the last sheet over to you and he says, if you'll pay this much down and this much a month for the rest of your life, you can drive that car. And you say to him, sir, I'm sorry, I have a conviction. I don't know what a day I bring forth. I don't even know if I have a job three uh, three months from now. I can't sign a five-year contract with you. But I tell you what, I drive up and down this road going to work every day and as the Lord leads me, I'll stop in and give you something on that car once in a while. Well, you better enjoy walking because you're not going to buy a car. How about a mortgage on a house? 30 years? 15, 30, 30 years? You want to know what real faith is? 75-year-old man signing a 30-year note. Everybody has faith at that point. No, but we do it. And and then we balk when we want... when. when God asked us for a one-year commitment. This ought not be. It should be done systematically, not haphazardly. Anything we we do for the Lord ought to be done correctly. I I love in our churches the musicians uh, of uh, all of them. They didn't just wake up this morning and say, I believe I'll play the piano in church today. I, I... I think I'm going to take up the flute or the violin. No, hours and hours and hours and hours they've labored to to make it possible that they could come and be a blessing to us today. That's the way we ought to be in the Lord's work. He's worthy. I, I no sooner drive up on your properties than I know somebody in this place loves God and respects God's house. It's so well kept and maintained inside and out. It so speaks well of our Lord. And I commend you. That takes effort. That takes somebody paying attention. That takes notice. God bless you for that. This matter of our giving takes notice. Prayer, preparation. Lord, what would you have me to do? Upon the first day of the week, let as many of you as feel led lay by him in store. There might be some translation that says that. But my Bible doesn't. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in stories. God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. Paul's writing to the church. And then, of course, over in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he elaborates on this a bit. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. You see, this this tells me that regardless of our circumstances, we can be involved in grace giving. Uh, uh, Think think about this. Well, it won't take time to look at it, but think about this in, in uh, 2 Corinthians eight and and two. He says, "I want you to I want you to notice these poor Gentile believers. They were in a great trial of affliction and had an abundance of joy." Pardon me. Great trial of affliction, not just a difficult time, not just a recession. Great trial of affliction and an abundance of joy. They had deep poverty, verse 2 says, deep poverty that abounded to the riches of their liberality. I imagine when these folks said, we want to help with that offering, Paul, he probably said, you people are so poor, poor people call you poor. How are you going to help anybody? So they said, well, we want to try. And then in verse 3, Paul says, I can testify that they gave according to their own power. Yea, and beyond their power. In other words, they took an offering of what they had, of their own resources. And perhaps they looked at it and said, Boy, it's pretty pitiful, isn't it? Probably wouldn't pay Paul's expenses to take it to Jerusalem. So they came up with this idea. Paul. We believe God will give through us what he might not give to us. Huh? The, the Lord just has not seen fit to give me that jaguar. But I'm not walking. Oh. These Macedonian believers said, now we could use this money for ourselves, but we promise if God sends it through us, we'll see to it that it gets where God intended it be. See... I think we as Christians are open real big toward heaven, and we're funnels. God pours blessings in for us, not for us to keep, but for us to be a blessing to others. But we get nervous, don't we? And we put a spiritual cork in the bottom of the funnel. And then you learn that blessings are like manna. Kept overnight, they stink the next day. Blessings are only a sweet savor so long as they are permitted to flow. The Macedonian believers, I believe, understood that even though they were poor. They said, if God will give through us, we'll see to it that it gets to the designated place. And then the latter, the last phrase in verse 3 of 2 Corinthians 8, it says, they were willing of themselves. One commentator said... He translated that and he said it means they made a joy of robbing themselves. This matter of giving not only should be done systematically, it ought to be done joyfully. In the next chapter, 9 and I believe it's verse 7, says God loveth a cheerful giver. I heard a preacher many years ago, he said God loves a cheerful giver, but he'll take money from an old grouch. It should be done with joy. This ought not be a, a bad time. This ought not be an unpleasant experience. It ought to be an opportunity for us to say, here is something I can engage myself in in the work of the Lord and affect lives in 80 places around the world through 80 families that have gone to the world. Oh, if you go on in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, and I'm, I'm skipping over a lot of stuff, because we're going to be at 1 o'clock before we know it. Yeah, I know what time it is. I'm looking right back there at it. Oh, it. This chapter also teaches us that we can prove the sincerity of our love. I think it's in verse 8 that he says that. Also in verse 24, prove the sincerity of your love. Oh, you might say, ah oh, yeah, you know loving is no proof uh, or giving is no proof that I love God. well, maybe not, but there's a very close connection between loving and giving. Help me out here, will you? For God so that he oh yeah, there's a real connection between the two. If you love your family, you don't go drink all year or your paycheck up and let them go hungry and unfed and unclothed. If you love your family, you'll deny yourself. See to it that they're taken care of. If we love our church, we'll not let it go wanting. If we love our God, we will obey Him. And this is one of the many ways that we can obey Him. It can be an imitating of Christ. I'm not going to take a look at that. It can can also be uh, any. Uh, uh, an effort of equality. He goes on to say, maybe verse 14, I can't remember in 2 Corinthians 8, uh, but he says that we now give so we can go in and impact the lives of others that the day might come that they will come and impact our lives. We could be sending the gospel to some country today. People get saved, preachers call to preach, churches rise up, and they might very well be sending preachers to my great-grandchildren. You say, never, never, we'll have our own. Uh, Great Britain did too. And now we're sending missionaries to Great Britain. If they can, if they can lay the banner down and, and forget the world, it's possible that we could as well. I don't want it to happen. I want it, Even if other countries do pick it, and other countries are, by the way, sending out missionaries, uh, even though they might uh, surpass us, I still want us to be in the battle sending missionaries to the far regions of the world to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. So, how do we get started? How do we get started in this, in this faith giving? Uh, Luke six thirty eight. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Shall men give into your bosom? For with the same measure that you meet, with all it shall be measured to you again. So how do we get started? Give, and it shall be given unto you. You say, well, oh, brother Western, I filled this card out, and as soon as God sends it in, I give it. No, you fill this card out, and as soon as the first Sunday comes, you give it. Give, and it shall be given unto you. You say, oh, then we give to get. No. We give to get, to give, to get, to give, to get, to give, to get. To give to get. If we're going to give a tithe to the Lord, I could calculate that. So can you. But this matter of giving a gift beyond the tithe to the Lord is altogether something else. Every individual has to ask God his will. Lord, what would you have me to do? Now, uh, my wife and I will be leaving tonight. So by tonight, if if you haven't heard from the Lord, if you want to ask me, I'll tell you what to give. But more than likely, it would be a lot cheaper if you talk to the Lord. I have no idea what you ought to do. None. I seek the Lord's will in my faith promise, and I do give it, my wife and I. We do tithe. We don't go to church, but we tithe. We don't go to our church very often, three or four times a year maybe. Uh, But get that tithing taken care of and then enjoy the pleasure of giving God a gift beyond what he requires. This ought to be a, a blessing to each and every one of us. Now, why do we want to do this? Because we want to reach more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It. Did I it, it tell you about the, the preacher that said the gospel's as free as water? No. The preacher was preaching. He was waxing elephants, you know, got really stirred up. He said, The gospel's as free as water. Hallelujah! The gospel's free as water. Somebody in the congregation stood up and said, Preacher, if the gospel's as free as water, why do you keep passing the offering plates? He said, Brother, the gospel is as free as water. But somebody has to pay for the plumbing. It takes a lot of plumbing to get the free gospel to a lost world. Won't you help? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts that you have been raised from the dead, we indeed will be saved. That we confess with our mouth. We believe in our hearts. But Lord, out there in this world today are multitudes that have never one time heard a clear presentation of the gospel that, whereby they could be saved. Our effort today, represented by the flags we saw earlier and by offerings that are received, It is an effort of ours to combine our love for you and for the world with the love of many churches around the world. And together we send missionaries to cities and villages and towns to share with those that have not had a chance how they might be saved. Could be one of those they's right here in this room this morning could certainly be some whosoever's here this morning. I hope that they would see how important this is to you and to your church and that they would trust you today. Have your perfect will accomplished in every heart and life is my prayer in Christ's name. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed.